Good morning again, everybody. There you go. Good morning to you who are joining us online. We're glad that you can be a part of it all. Let me just get myself sorted out here. I'm going to bring my, uh, my scripture over this morning. Now, if you didn't get sermon notes, we, had ser- we have sermon notes. Anybody need the notes? Raise your hand now. There we go. A couple over here, a couple here. If you're online, you can get them in the chat section of Messenger. And it's kind of apt today to have sermon notes. Anybody like word games? Yes, I heard a determined yes there. Word games, they're kind of something you either, you really like them or you hate them. You know the game, uh, what's that game called? Boggle. Familiar with Boggle? You got uh, randomly, next slide please. There we go. You get these randomly selected letters and, and you, you have to make words out of them, right? You get 60 seconds or something like that. Get a pen out, get a pen, we're, we're going to do this in a second. And there's a prize. And you, and you have to make as many words, four letters or more as you can, but they have to be linked. You can't jump all over the place. There's, there's got to be a link and you cannot use the same letter square twice. This isn't the one we're doing. <laughs> Just so you can see from that one there, the word smarter. Can we go to the next slide, please? Border, as in skateboarder, because I knew if I put border up there, I'd get everybody saying, that's not how you spell border. That's how you spell skateboarders. <coughs> so you get 60 seconds. Oh, better get the timer out here. Not this one. We'll see who's the competitive ones. I know Kelly's got a pen and paper, yeah. Four or more. So prize, whoever gets, I've only got one. I've got two prizes. The most words and the longest word, okay? You can do this online too. It's, it's, it's up there. So let me just get my stopwatch out or my timer out. I mean, and uh, how do I do this? One minute. Here we go. Are you ready? Set. It's not this one. Go. All right. The most words and the longest word. Fifteen seconds gone. And this is, I mean, I gave you lots of good letters here. You can't use the same letter square twice. If the letter's up there two times, you can use it. 30 seconds. Twenty seconds. Ten seconds. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Done. Put your pencils down. All right. Let's see how you did. Anybody get ten words? I'm not going to check them. Anybody get ten words? No ten words? Eight words. We got one eight words. I knew. I knew. Nine words. Anyone nine words? 
So, oh, we've got a nine-worder here. Oh, yeah, eight words. So we got eight words. What's the longest word you got, Kelly? Uh, thread. Six letters. Dearest. There we got a longer word over there. Sharpest was the biggest I came up with. Dearest. Do we have any longer than dearest? What's that? D-E-A-R. Separate. How many letters in that? No, no. You can't get separate out of that. S-E-P-P. Where'd you get the A from? Oh, sep. How do you spell separate? A-R-T. It's not E. It's A. <laughs> All right. I think we got the longest, longest word down there and the most words. Come here, get your prizes. I'm not checking your words. <laughs> A. Good try. Pick a hand. This one here. The 101, 1001 complete book of questions. Good. This one here is a journal that I was given. <laughs> I've done nothing in it, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Now... I gave you a lot of letters there. Kind of made it easy. You could get loads out there. And if I gave you two minutes, you could probably come up with 20 or so words. Maybe, maybe a couple of double-digit words in there. And the, the thing is, the longer you look at it, the longer you look into it, the more you get out of it, right? Christy's still going here. <laughs> it is exactly the same with God's Word. The more time you spend looking into it and pondering upon it and thinking about it and dissecting it, the more that you get from it. Take it off the screen, please. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this morning, I want to talk about our sword. I got rid of the shields and the swords, but I want to talk about our sword. Our sword is the Word of God, right? Ephesians 6 says, take the Word Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I kind of find it interesting as I was putting this together, you know, that the words sword and words are all the same characters. They're exactly the same characters. Words and sword, the S just gets boggles the mind. See what I did there? Boggles the mind? Sorry. Sorry. Where are it? We're in a series called Building Blocks, and it's all about taking ground, and it's part of our, our year-long initiative to live in faith. And in order for us to, to take ground, there's three things that we must do. So this is right in your notes here. Number one, first, we must trust the character of God. We've got to trust that God is good, that He loves us, that He has our best interests at heart. If you don't trust the character of God, you're never going to act in faith when God calls you to act in faith. Jesus said, God said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we must trust the character of God. Second, you've got to trust the word 
of God. And that's where we're going to go today. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is a living word. That means that it's dynamic. It has the ability to, to seemingly change every time you read it. I've shared this so many times before. You know, you'll open a passage of Scripture today... You read it again in a week's time, and, and, and something new jumps out at you. I, and I've literally prayed, like, God, I don't think that was in there last time I read this. You added that, because I would have seen that before. It is dynamic. It is alive. It is powerful. And the reason that it is alive is because it is infused with the Holy Spirit of God. I always like this idea that as, as the writers wrote, they wrote directed and guided by God's Spirit. He told them the words to put down. They may not have known it at the time. When Paul was writing his letters, I don't think he was sitting there thinking, wow, the Holy Spirit is telling me what to say. He's just writing what's in his heart, which came from the Spirit. And that Spirit is in those words. And when we open that word, our Spirit connects with the Holy Spirit that is in those words and makes it a living word says it is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It has the power to cut through all of the extraneous stuff in our lives. And get to what matters. It, it, just get rid of all of that other stuff. All the excuses. All the, the sin. And all that. No. Get to what's important. And it's all about the promises. I've been studying the promise of God. You will not act on the commands of God unless you trust the promises of God. Unless you trust his word, you're not going to act upon his promises. And third, you must act in faith. That means you live it out. We all know the passage from James 1.22. Obey the word. Obey the word of God. If you hear only and do not act, you are only fooling yourself. And basically what 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 it's saying is be the person that God has called you to be. So we're going to dig into this passage of Scripture this morning. This is, this is our word that we're going to dig into with this two-edged sword and, and cut through all the stuff that gets in the way and see what God has for us this morning, how we can take ground this year. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of His call. May He give you power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live. And you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. So let's let's go through this. We haven't kind of gone through this all through this series. So we're going to dig into it. So we keep on praying for you. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? We keep on praying for you. If you want to take ground in your life, if you want the kingdom of God to advance in your life, it begins with prayer. And and Paul is telling them, we keep on praying for you. And it makes absolute sense to me that if somebody is praying for me, I should at least pray as well. 
Let's both be in prayer for this thing. So we keep on praying for you. It is to be intentional, consistent, faithful prayer. You know, last week we had that image of what is a fully devoted follower of Christ. And one of the things is a fully devoted follower of Christ. The disciple of Christ is a prayer warrior. They pray. This should be the the go-to thing. Don't have to think about this. We've got to pray. And, and, you know, I was thinking about prayers are words, right? And if you read the word, it says that we are to pray in accordance with God's will. And if we're praying in accordance with God's will, then we're praying that power that is in his word in our lives. James 5.16 says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So we keep on praying for you. Asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. We've talked about this. God calls us the first call. He calls us into this loving relationship. He actually pursues us. He chases us down. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And and it's like, come. Come and be with me. But that's not the only call. Once he's called us into this loving relationship, then he calls us to live a life worthy of this call. See, love is reciprocal, right? Who wants to be in a love relationship where there's only one side of the relationship doing anything? That's not much fun. Love is reciprocal. It is two people that love each other, and love is a verb. It is an action. Yes, there's love that is an emotion, but love is in, in this way is a verb. It is an action. It's something you do. It's more than just a feeling. You know, sometimes when you're worshiping, right, you get into that zone. Enjoyed the worship this morning. Enjoyed the worship this morning. I knew you were here somewhere. And sometimes, you know, you, you just get into that zone and it's like, oh, Jesus. Jesus. I could hear Sandra this morning. She had her, what's that thing called? Ziggy, the thing on top of the fridge, bellowing out music, worship music. Her phone was ringing. I'm yelling, your phone's ringing. She couldn't hear. She's worshiping. Nothing wrong with that. You get in this place where it's like, wow, Jesus. But the love that, 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 that God calls us into is, is an action-oriented love. Jesus said in four, John 14, 15, if you love me, Obey my commandments. In 1 John 5, 3, loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Sometimes I think we kind of load ourselves up with this, oh, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Oh, man. (laughs) That's going to be so much fun. Can't do this. Can't do that. This is bad. That's bad. His his commandments are not burdensome. Now, be faithful. Don't murder anybody. Okay? Be honest. Honor your parents. Honor your parents. Sorry. (laughs) So he calls us into this love relationship, and then he calls us to live a life worthy of his call, and he calls us to join him in his work. Now, not everybody responds to the call. Some don't respond to the initial call into the relationship with Jesus Christ. 
I've had people, I've sat down and shared Jesus with them and come to the point where, would, would you like that? No. <laughs> Did the same thing myself. Some people respond to that initial call. But for some reason, either out of fear or apathy or indifference or, or whatever, they don't respond to God's call to join him in his work. You see, it's not a call. He keeps calling us, calls us into a relationship, and he says, hey, come on over here. When you come on over here, he moves over there. It's following Jesus, right? Jesus is not standing still. He's going somewhere. Hey, come join me over here. Hey, come join me over here. Hey, come join me over here. Live a life worthy of his call. He has called us out of darkness and into light, and we've got to live up to that calling. We don't want to hide in the shadows. And then the scripture continues, and I love this bit. I highlighted it in red. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Now, up on the screen there, you notice I capitalized some words. I absolutely love this. God's calling and his empowering go hand in hand for those who respond to his call. But what I love about it is, is the onus is on us. Now think about this for a minute. What has your faith prompted you to do? Think about that for a second. What has your faith prompted you to do? Now I want to talk about what an act of faith is for a moment. Sometimes we get acts of faith mixed up with acts of obedience. I'm going to use money. It's the one that people struggle with most, tithing. Sometimes we think about tithing as an act of faith, and it is, but it's not really, is it? It's an act of obedience. It, it's kind of like the lowest, we, we don't need to go to God in prayer and ask for the faith to tithe. Tithing is an act of obedience. It's the lowest common denominator. It's kind of like, okay, if you're a follower of mine, here's something you do. You don't have to pray and ask me about this. This is part of what I've called you to do. It'd be like some, you're in the military. We've got some people that have been in the military here. And if the sergeant says, stand to attention, and you do it, he doesn't thank you for doing it. Oh, thank you. Never really expected you to do that. If he gives an order, he just expects it to be obeyed. There's no conversation about it. We are in an army. We are in God's army. And when Jesus says, do this thing, and it's all through the scriptures, we act like it's some big step of faith. It's not an act of faith. It's an act of obedience. It requires faith to do it. So what is a true act of faith? An act of faith is when you step out of your comfort zone, has to be prompted by the Holy Spirit, to accomplish something for God. In other words, you join him in his work. An act of faith, so this is right in your, your notes here, an act of faith will always cost something. It's going to cost you. It could cost you money depending on what God has called you to do. It might cost you time. It might cost you your comfort. It may cost you a relationship. 
It might cost you some security. It may cost giving up something, but an act of faith will always cost you something. It's not good news, is it? Can it just be? It's not. It's going to cost you something. And an act of faith will always demand action. I've put this up there for the last three weeks. Anytime Christ seeks to help us grow in our faith, he is going to bring us to a crisis of faith that demands action. He's going to take you to a place where it's like, oh, I hope this is you, Jesus. I hope this is you. I think I'll just go back and hide a little bit. I hope this is you. You see, it's so much more than simple obedience. Calling and, and, and empowering going hand in hand. And if you respond to God call, God's call, he calls you again and again and again. Leading you down ever-challenging roads. Not softening anything here this morning. But he empowers you on that journey. But what a journey. I believe he called me out of England to Canada before I even acknowledged that he exists. I believe that he called me to Canada. And then when we were in Canada, I believe he called me a life out of my hedonistic life into a life with him in Alberta. And then he called me out of Canada to Texas. And then he called me from a job in the corporate world that was going very well to serve him in full-time ministry. And I think each step was a call from God. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Okay, okay, okay. And I'm going to tell you something. My life has been awesome. It's like, wow, God. Never could have imagined my life like this. I think I've shared this with you before. If I went back to 17-year-old me, I wouldn't want him to see this. (laughs) There's no line apart from God that joins these two lives. It just doesn't exist. It's like, God? Seriously? Texas? (laughs) Pastor? (laughs) You better get another drink, buddy. Something's gone wrong. (laughs) But here's the thing about the steps. They're one step at a time. One response at a time. And every time that we respond to God, when we step out to to live a life worthy of his call, he empowers us to accomplish something so that you have the courage to do it again. So let me give you an example. I remember, I've, I've probably shared this with you before, early on in my faith walk. So God got going in my life. I was a bricklayer, living like a bricklayer. I was a construction guy. I cannot speak to you the way I used to speak. <laughs> Up on the scaffold with the guys, and I like my job as a bricklayer. I like my life as a bricklayer. It was a rough life. It was a tough life, but it was a lot of hard work. There was a lot of drinking. There was a lot of cussing. There was a lot of lots of things, and I enjoyed my life. I wasn't one of those people thinking, I've got this God-shaped hole in my God. I need God to fill it. I wasn't like that. I was having fun. I was enjoying it, and then God got hold of me. And started to change things. But I went through a crisis of faith. When God got hold of me, I was afraid to admit who I was when I was up on the scaffold with the guys. So I lived this double life. I was Mike the bricklayer. And drinking. Heavy. 
And then on Sunday, I was Mike the Christian. And I felt bad up on the scaffold, not being who I was. And I felt bad at church, not being who I was there. It was... But the Holy Spirit continues to work on you. It's a journey, right? And and I can remember getting to a point in the journey where I thought, I'm not going to deny God anymore. If someone asks me about my faith, I don't care where I am, I'm going to tell them what I believe. I'm not going to deny this anymore. And I remember being in the church one day, and the pastor, John Wood, he was all about evangelism. He preached this sermon on evangelism, and he said at the end of the sermon, he says, I need a group of people to form an evangelism team in this church, and we'll go out and we'll visit people, and we'll tell people about Jesus. But if you want to do that, you've got to do some training. You have to take Wednesday off, Thursday off, Friday off, Saturday. We're going to go to this church. It's all day training for all of those days. Pray about it, and come see me. And I prayed about it, and I thought, Man, you know, maybe, maybe this is something that God is doing in me. But it meant that I would have to go to work and tell my boss, I'm a follower of Jesus. Can I have half the week off so I can go on this training course where I can learn to tell people about Jesus? Because I thought, I'm not going to lie about it. That's not a good way to start. <laughs> and I was really nervous about going to my boss. And, you know, the way God takes care of things. I, I, Jerry was his name. Jerry, I'm going to do this thing. He was like, oh, yeah, that's great. Go ahead. He wasn't, I don't think he was a Christian, but he, yeah, all right, we'll see you next week. So I went on this training Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all-day training. It was called Evangelism Explosion, and they taught you how to explain Jesus through the scriptures and everything like that. And we put together this team. We go back to the church, and the pastor we go out in groups of three, and he had a whole bunch of people for us to go visit. And I remember the first time we ever went on a visit was me, the pastor, and someone else. I don't remember who the someone else was. We're sitting in this person's living room. And John, the pastor, sets it all up. He gets talking, and he gets to this place, you know, where, well, would you like to know? You know, how you can know for certain that you have eternal life? And the guy said, yeah. And he looked at me and said, Mike, you tell him. (laughs) I don't remember what I said. It was nothing that was on the training. (laughs) I couldn't remember anything. I just remember going through this whole thing, and I'm saying words. I don't know what they are. And you get to the end of it, and you ask a question. Would you like to receive the gift of eternal life? And I remember thinking to myself, I don't want to ask the question because <laughs> I know the answer already. I don't think this guy understands a word I said. I don't know what I said. And I said those words, would you like to accept, would you, would you like to receive the gift of eternal life? And the guy said, yes. And I was dumbfounded. I didn't know what to say next. It was like, oh. <laughs> it was almost like, are you sure? <laughs> like all that stuff I said was wrong, you know. And he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior right there. And I remember coming out of there, wow, that was awesome. And it empowered me. It gave me a boldness. The next time we we went on a visit, I, I I was the one, you know, pick me. 
Can I do it? Can I do it? Can I do it? Please, can I do it? And, and I loved it. But here's what happens. You have to say, yes. I'm going to answer your call, God. When he put out the invitation, I'm looking for a team to go and tell people about Jesus Christ. Would you pray about it? And I prayed about it. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, you're the one. Or you're one of the ones. Okay, God. And then you go and he empowers you. It's like, wow. That was God. I mean, I love this. All the good things your faith prompts you to do. The onus is on us. What is he prompting you to do? Now, the scary thing that we worry about, what if it's not God? What if I step out in faith and I think that it's God and it's not God? Best not to step out and fall flat on my face. How do I know it's God? I remember hearing a fellow called Erwin McManus once talk about this. He said he had a little kid, his, his little boy, two-story house. And he said, this kid believed that whatever was in the world that was good was on the second floor. He said, we did everything to stop this kid getting to the second floor. We'd put baby gates up. We'd do, it got through them all. He said, and one day, he said, I, I thought I'd catch him. His name was Aaron. He said, and, and I'm sitting in the living room, and I can hear him out at the stairs. And I hear, baby gate comes down, and he's heading up the stairs. He said, so I ran out of the door, and I said to him, what are you doing? He said he was up about six or seven steps, maybe eight steps, he said. And he turned, and he instinctively jumped. He said, and I just let him fall flat on his face. He needed to look. No, no. He caught him. <laughs> He caught him. And he said, that's this journey with God. When you step out in faith for God, he loves you so much. You, you, no, that's not it. He's not going to let you fall flat on your face. So I've got four checks for you. How do I know it's God? Check number one, you've got to check your heart. What's my true motive in this? Am I sincere in this? Is this all about me or is this about God? Because I've talked to people before that, that, you know, they come to you with an idea and it, and it doesn't take long to filter through it and you realize it, it's a good thing, but it's more about them than it is about God and looking good. What's my true motive? Am I doing this for my glory or God's glory? Second one, check with God, prayer. We keep on praying for you. Invite people to pray for you. I feel that, that maybe God is leading me in this direction. First thing with that evangelism explosion, I prayed. I probably spoke to Sandra and said, let's pray about this. The third thing, check the word. Is it scriptural? I've had people come to me with all kinds of weird things. I believe God is telling me to leave my... <laughs> Husband, let's just go there. <laughs> I believe God is telling me to leave my husband. This marriage is not working. I, I, I don't need to look that up for you. <laughs> I don't think he is. I don't see that in the word. You know, 
Get rid of your dirtbag husband if he's not fulfilling your needs or he's lazy or whatever. It's not in there. So, check the word. Is it scriptural? If you've got those three check marks, respond to the call. Now, the way that I've lived, and I've shared this with you before, I get people will come to me and say, pray that God will open a door. I don't pray for open doors. If I, if I half think God has prompted me to do something, my prayer is, God, I think this is you. I'm heading in this direction. If it's not you, close the door. I'm not waiting. I'm not sitting around waiting for an open door. I'm going to step out in faith. If it's not you, God, close the door. He's closed a few doors on me. And check number four, does it bear fruit? If it's of God, there will be fruit. God will never punish an act of faith. A sincere act of faith. Even a misguided act of faith. If you step out of faith and it's not God's plan for you at that time. He's got something else going on. He's not going to punish you for stepping out in faith. He's not going to let you fall flat on your face. That's not his plan. God rewards our faithfulness. Let me tell you about the Bema seat. Anybody ever heard of the Bema seat? Some of you probably have. The Bible teaches in multiple places that Christians will face judgment. So, ooh. But there are two judgments. One is the judgment between heaven and hell. Have you accepted Jesus? That's the bottom line. Did you trust my son? Did you accept Jesus? If the answer is yes, good. If the answer is no, not good. But everybody that says yes faces a second judgment. The Bible says that we all will sit before Jesus and give an account of our lives. All the good, all the bad. And it's called the Bema judgment. And it's called Bema because the Greek word that is used is Bema. Back in the day, the Bema seat was a raised platform at sporting events. And the judge would sit up there to view the sporting events to make sure everybody played by the rules and to award the prizes to those who won. The Bema was never a place to reprimand the athletes or punish them in any way. You came last, man. What is that all about? I was never part of it. It was a place of testing and rewards. In exactly the same way, the Bema of Christ will not be a place of condemnation. It will be a place of rewards. We will give an account for everything that we did or didn't do. All the times that that when God called us to step out in faith and and, and we step back. No, 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 it's it's okay. It's not me. It's it's them. I'm not not me. You know what the scripture says? There are going to be tears in heaven. It's odd, isn't it? Why would there be tears in heaven? I think the tears in heaven are going to be when we sit at this beam of judgment, and and Jesus comes to me and says, Mike, look what I had for you, man. If you'd have stepped up at this time, if you'd have stepped up at this time, I had all of this 
for you. You know, your life was pretty good, but I had all of this for you. Oh, man. But it says he's going to wipe those tears away. Thank you, God. Here's the thing. You cannot outgive God. The Bible says that whatever you give up for Christ in this life will be more than rewarded in the life to come. So you step out in faith. You think, man, yeah, yeah, God's calling me to do this thing. And maybe he's not. He's not going to punish you. Maybe it's going to cost you something. But whatever you give up, you will be rewarded more when you're in eternity. And I want things that last for eternity. This stuff rusts and rots. May he give you the power to do it. What good things is your faith prompting you to do? Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. The reason that we need the Lord's power to enable these good things is so that he gets the glory. I stand here speaking to you as an act of faith because I can't speak in front of people. So God gets the glory. When I asked that guy, do you want Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And he said, yes. That had nothing to do with anything I said and everything to do with Jesus that was working at that time. He just wanted a vessel to say, oh, I'll go. He's laughing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but I got you. I got your back. Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy. He says, I fought a good fight. I finished the race and I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. It's not a pride issue. Paul's not boasting in himself. He's boasting in Christ. In fact, he writes the very fact that, that God uses the foolish things to advance his kingdom. And it's an honor received in humility and the understanding that it was God's power and not our power. Which leads us to the last part of the passage. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you to live this life, this calling, the best life. This is your destiny in Christ, to live at a higher level, to live in the faith zone, in the God zone, empowered by him to bring honor to him so that those that don't know him will see your life and say, I don't know what's going on there, but I want some of that. And they will come to know him. All right, let me close with this. It's going to take about five minutes to close. So. What I love about this passage of Scripture, it entices a question mark. Look at the wording. We keep on praying, asking our God. There's a question mark there, isn't there? We keep on praying, asking our God. May he give you the power. May he give you the power. It prompts a question. What if he says no? 
Now, I'm not going to enable you to live a life worthy of my call. No, I'm not going to give you the power to accomplish all the good things that your faith prompts you to do. What if he says no? There's a definite question in this scripture. Not doing it. That would be ludicrous, wouldn't it? It wouldn't fit with what we know in scripture. Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and all these things will be given to you. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in a future. John 10, 10, I've come that they may have life and life to the full. So if there's a question mark in this, the question mark is not about God. The question mark is about us. And this is where our two-edged sword comes in. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes our fears. It exposes our reluctance. As I said earlier, you will not act on the commands of God unless you trust the promises of God. What if, stuffy in here, isn't it? I'm looking at your faces. (laughs) Help me, Pastor Mike. What if, We took God at his word and we believed his promises. How would that change your day? How would that change what you do when you leave here? What if you believe Joshua 1.9? This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What if you truly believe that? What if, what if yeah, I talked about tithing? What if we were to base our giving around this promise? 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Or, or if your faith prompts you to speak, to be a witness. What if you believed Mark 13, 11, where it says, don't worry in advance about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words. There, there are so many promises of God. I've been studying the promises of God. Proverbs 16, 9. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. So even if I go off in the wrong direction, God is going to say, nope, this way. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. Isaiah 40, 29. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Or verse 31, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. When you think about the word of God and the power wrapped up in his word, his promises, and applying them to your life, what does that look like for you? May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. He says, I chose you. I called you. I will bless you in this way. What if he said yes to the good things that your faith is prompting you to do? I'll do it because I love you. How would that change the way you think?
All right, I promise to finish right here. He wants to say yes. Here's the question. Are your dreams too small? Is your giant too big? Are your fears too great? When it comes to stepping out in faith and taking ground, what's the next step for you? You know, last week I put that thing in the bulletin, and I've put it in this week again. If you filled it out last week, just ignore it. I was so pleased at the number of responses that we got back. I've been trying to work my way through calling you. If, if I haven't called you yet, you're on my list to call you this week. If you weren't here last week, here's, here's a step of faith. I can't read it from here, but I'm interested in strengthening my faith by. And then there's a list right there. Take a step of faith and say, you know what, God, I'm not sure if this is you, but I'm going to check something off here, and I'm going to begin praying for it. I'm checking your word. You don't need to check your word on these. <laughs> They're in his word, except for other. Check on that one. But take a step. Drop it in the offering at the end of the service. You see, when we take God at his word and trust him and his word, and we let it become the driving force in our lives, wonderful things begin to happen. Lives are changed around us, and our life is changed. And we begin to understand when Jesus said, I came that they should have life and life to the full. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy presence here. I know it's stuffy in here today. It's hot. I could see everybody's faces. But Father, I pray that you would cut through that with your word. And Father, if somebody's heart has been impacted today, they know that there's good things that their faith is prompting them to do, but they've been holding back. I pray, Father, that your word would just cut away all of the stuff that gets in the way and that they would step out in faith and begin this journey with you. And know you. And know your love. Father, may we take you at your word. Because you are faithful even when we are not. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I have those come forward?